welcome to the Siemens Security by Design podcast. I'm your host, Lee Harrison, Marketing Director for Tessent Safety and Security Products within Siemens EDA. In this podcast series, I'll be talking to experts from all over the globe who are deeply involved from both a technology and a research perspective in the development of semiconductor technology, giving you a truly unfiltered view on what we are doing and what we need to do to make IC safe and secure for critical applications. Today, AI is becoming an industry buzzword that is being embraced, but also feared by the semiconductor industry. In a sector where safety and security is critical, the perception of using AI in IC design tools where process and predictability of results are critical, it's important that adding AI enhancements and capabilities does not send designers running for the hills. Today, my guest is Ron Press. Ron is the Director of Technology Enablement at Tessent Products Group within Siemens Digital Industry Software. Ron has spent the last 26 years working in EDA delivering solutions for semiconductor DFT and test. His role today is to make sure Siemens is developing the best-in-class technologies to help customers deliver the best products in the future. And AI is now a critical technology that can help do that. Welcome, Ron, to the podcast. So 26 years in EDA, no doubt you've seen and even driven a huge change in some of the technology trends. But before we dig into the detail of what's happening in EDA tool development, I want to talk to you a little bit about Siemens. So for AI, does Siemens have an overall AI strategy and how is it invested in AI for today and for the future? Thanks, Lee, and thanks for inviting me. Yeah, so at Siemens, AI is a major initiative for the company. And just recently at CES 2024, Roland Boschar, uh, CEO, he did a talk about AI and how important it is. He pointed out that incremental improvements aren't really good enough anymore. So AI gives us an opportunity to have really dramatic improvements. And part of his CES talk had Cedric Nike, who's our digital industry CEO. He also has a really nice TED talk that has a similar topic about how we can use AI. And from a corporate view, one of our, our big initiatives is sustainability. And people often don't correlate AI with sustainability, but what Cedric pointed out is we wanna to get to a solution faster and use less resources. And AI gives us a good opportunity for that. One of the things that Siemens has been talking about for a while is digital twin where we model something digitally instead of having to do all the physical modeling and try it out in real hardware. And that's what we can use to help out with uh, AI. We'll do a digital twin. We can model something digitally, and then we can do a lot of processing. And with the big data, we can run AI to figure out our improvements, and we'll save a lot of resources. And that correlates really well to what we do with Intessent as well, which I, I can talk about later. So it is a big initiative within the company. That plays really nicely into EDA because I think digital twin for semiconductor design, we've been doing for a long time now. So it's digital twins new for a lot of other areas, but for semiconductor design, digital twin is really the cornerstone of, of making things happen. But how does that overall AI strategy kind of play out into the, the EDA product development? What's happening there and, and what's specifically happening in the area of DFT? For EDA, there's really three types of AI we've been talking about. One's additive, which means we're able to use limited memory to make decisions. And this is where 
in EEA and in our yield learning, since we have a digital twin, we can actually do a scan failure diagnosis, which is a virtual failure analysis. So we're using a digital twin to pretend we have failure analysis. We'll figure out what the root cause is, like a physical failure analysis would do. But we can do this thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of times in a short period. And with all this big data, that's perfect for machine learning. And that's what we use our um, additive AI for with our, our yield learning with Intesi. There's another type of AI we call adaptive, which is the ability to really intelligently solve problems that are presented to the system. And we've been using that within EDA as well as testing, where we try to solve problems as smart as we can through our algorithms and try to come up with intelligent solutions. And when we can't do it algorithmically, we have to go beyond that. Then we'll look at using uh, AI methods. Is this new technology or is this been around for some time? Because I think AI is, is the buzzword that's out there. Everybody's implementing new AI technologies. But I think some of this stuff has been around for quite some time. So AI in um, semiconductor design and design in 1993, I actually had a paper when I was at Raytheon using neural networks to train neural networks to figure out when the aircraft built and self-test system had a false alarm or a real alarm. In 93, it was hard to uh, come up with, with great solutions, but it was being employed way back then. And at Tessent, we've been doing this for over 10 years with uh, unsupervised machine learning to take the scanned uh, fail data and do this uh, digital twin virtual failure analysis to be able to find systematic yield limiters, something that's causing the yield to go down that a human wouldn't be able to find. And then once we figured out what the root cause is, someone can go validate it with a, a physical failure analysis on one of the best candidates. So we've been doing that for a while. We're also looking at opportunities to keep taking this AI forward and look at other adaptive AI methods, additive AI methods. Or the last one that I didn't mention was assistive, which is kind of a self-learning capability. And we're looking at where we can use that in uh, testing right now. So the tool would do some types of learnings, but also it'd be able to make better decisions, not just on the design it's presented, but what it's learned about in the past. If you look at all the three different types of AI you've just mentioned, which is the one do you think adds the most value to someone's design cycle or, as you say, sustainability, getting the design out the door quicker? What one really, really is the one, the, the kind of killer app that's going to help everybody? That's kind of a hard question because what we do with yield learning that's basically a company's bottom line. It affects your profitability if you're able to bring your yield up faster and smarter. So, so that's a big impact. But getting the design out, one of the things we've done with additive AI, you know, we we're trying to solve this problem that's presented to the tool. A lot of trade-offs had to be made with hierarchical designs. We were trying to figure out how to get your I.O. pins to which cores and do all these trade-offs. We came up with a technology we call Screaming Scan Network, SSN, where we packetize the data that's delivered to the scan test. And by doing this, we take away the number of variables you need to do a trade-off with. Actually, we reduce it almost to zero so that when you do your core design, you don't have to worry about the embedding. So we could have applied you know, smarter algorithms and AI to figure out how to do the best trade-offs. 
but we actually removed the whole trade-off problem from the front-end design. So optimize the core design, we have an SSN interface, and this packetized high-speed bus can link up to any number of I.O. pins, and it can support any type of channel resources at the core level. And we call this a, a adaptive um, AI. One of the things it does is you can decide later on which cores you want to test and which patterns you want to apply to the cores. Within our software, we optimize. We'll figure out what's the best way to configure the software and the packets so we deliver efficiently as possible the test you want. So when it comes to the data models that we work with, you're doing all these iterative runs, you're creating experiments and so on and so forth. Where's all that data stored and, and is it protected and is it just on a, on a customer by customer basis? What's happening in, in that space? Today, we're using our, our big data analysis. We use like a BayesNet model for our unsupervised machine learning. So we're taking all this data, we're processing it, but that's not exposed to the outside. That's just at the customer base when they're running the diagnosis. So it's secure, and then sometimes there's a, a fear, can it be corrupted somehow? Well, the solutions we come up with, as I mentioned, it'll do a virtual failure analysis of all these tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of fails. Then it'll say, here's a good candidate to prove what we're telling you is right. You can run that in physical failure analysis, but it's all done internally at the customer site. It's not being exposed to the outside world. You see a lot of press now where they're talking about the, the future of AI and the direction it's heading and the use of kind of large language models. Is that something that you see is going to be part of EDA in the future? Or are we, we entering a realm where using those systems is, is just going to be too great for EDA? No, I think EDA can use large language models and systems such as that to do some generative AI to be able to produce what's the best solution for this type of design and generate at least a a preliminary set of commands to run through the tool as efficiently as possible. So there's great opportunity there. We're, we're looking into it. We're doing some work already, some basic types of uh, generative AI within EDA. We got to be careful not to overdo it. And you still need someone that understands what this result looks like and to validate this is going to work well in their design. My big focus is really on the safety and security side. And we have a ton of automotive customers that are developing more and more advanced semiconductors for, for automotive. In terms of the data model you discussed, how do we ensure that's, that's a trustworthy data model? Because if that gets corrupted, as you say, or it gets hacked, then there's the possibility there to really affect the, the whole design process that these, these folk are using. The data model we use for our yield learning is unlikely to be hacked because that's inside the company and we validate it. But the data that we provide for the testing and being able to go into the test interface with our scan patterns or memory disk patterns or programming for this, there is concern that someone can break in. And we've been doing some work more recently on root of trust. We realize scan is a path into registers and same with this setup. So we'll do the old method to have some type of uh, fuses you blow a fuses after you did your scan testing. But we need this infrastructure so that we can go and do other testing in the field or any field returns, we can retest them. So what we'll do is we'll add an input and output stream cipher that needs a key to validate. And we've been doing research in this area. We've really started to publish on it. 
And this type of root of trust control makes it that the whole interface to the test infrastructure is locked down. And then someone has to have a proper key to unlock it, and then they're able to run the test. That's a, that's a really, really important topic for certainly those designing these these safe and secure chips that are going into, into vehicles. You hear out there, there's this whole kind of Jap GPT thing where someone says, okay, design me a chip that's going to run an ADAS system in a vehicle. I think we're a million miles away from that today, but I think I'm certainly seeing areas where snippets of code are being generated using AI. So I think this whole topic of trustworthiness is really, really important. If we look into the future, as you say, Tesla's been using AI in their tools for, for quite some time. If you had a crystal ball, what do you see as being the future in terms of what's going to be added and what benefits are going to be had by, by adding kind of new AI capabilities into these, these EDA tools? Yeah, and we'll continue with what we've been doing. So our machine learning, we're able to find geometries that are more susceptible to defects in production and able to improve not just the design that's being uh, diagnosed, but the whole family of designs for that technology node. In ATPG pattern generation, we, we still have SSN and we'll be optimizing that. But I think the, the biggest opportunities for the future are to understand more and do some training to, for the tools to understand at this customer base for this type of design, these are the types of commands that they use and these are the types of optimizations they run and have the tool do, as we said, a little bit more generative AI to say, I recognize this design. This is what you should do to set it up and here's how you run. And then the user will have to check if it's okay. You know, there was a New York Times article where the editor was playing with ChatGPT and it was training, it was doing a good job, but then it told him it was getting lonely and it suggested he would, should leave his life. So, um, yeah, we have to still check the results of the AI. So we're not all out of a job tomorrow, so that's, that's no, good no, to no, hear. For sure. Anyway. And, and that's one of the biggest uh, tricks with AI is not only do you get a good solution, but you need some way to understand how the solution was produced. Because if it comes up with a good solution, you still need to have some people that understand. Maybe the AI tool will help them understand but you still need to understand how that solution was produced. Why is this a better result? And, and I, I think I hear that a lot in that you can ask AI to, to go and produce code and designs, but there's no innovation there because it, it's just looking at what's out there in existence today and just repurposing and regenerating that. There's no new innovation. So I think from a design perspective, there's still a big human element in that that's definitely required. And that's one of the things that I've done some reading where people are, are hopeful that AI can get to the point where it can innovate. Because right now it's able to solve these problems that it's given or learn about the problem, learn what we've done before. Can it come up with, like we said with SSM, we took regular scan data delivery and we said, oh, if we packetize it, then you don't have to solve all these variables. You don't have to solve all this balancing and optimization of cores to IO pins. That's the same type of thing that I'm hopeful for AI is can it be innovative? We're not there yet, but if it can innovate and come up with a better solution that's been done than what's been done in the past, that would be really special. I mean, right at the beginning, I introduced you and said, you've been doing this for quite some time now. Have you seen things have changed since you, you kind of started in the DFT space? Has there been massive leaps? What are your experiences? The goals of DFT have been the same and how we do it has been accepted and adopted more. So when we first started doing scan tests, people worried, oh, I have to add extra hardware. Now it's 
not even question. You always add scan to make it easy to test. But what's so different now is the massive compute power that's available and the ability to have a ton of data. Because when we did our work in 93, this was at Raytheon, we're training maybe 11 different neural networks. There wasn't a massive amount of data available because people just didn't collect and store data like they do today. So I think the, the big, big change is just massive amounts of data that are available in the compute power to go process and, and analyze the data. Over time, the cost of that has reduced massively. And not only do we have AI in our tools, but we also help a good number of our customers that are building both AI hardware and AI software for their own systems. And they're, and they're becoming certainly more cost-effective, certainly through the the benefits of having these smaller geometries and being able to generate these semiconductors that will be able to do this mass processing. So, yes, yeah, so I think that's – I think you're right. It's, it's, the, it's becoming a lot more mainstream. So I think uh, I, I expect lots of good things coming in the, in the future. And I like Cedric's uh, TED Talk where he talks about sustainability and how AI can help with it. I think when people are going and creating uh, a new type of picture or a new type of song, it's interesting but maybe it's a little bit wasteful using all this compute power to do something that isn't really helping the earth or anything like that. The sustainability view, and that's much broader than just EDA, but with all of uh, Siemens, the sustainability view and the digital twin, I think that's kind of a, a nice way to look at how AI can make our society, our, our, our world better. As you say, it's something you never kind of naturally associate with semiconductors as being sustainable. So the, this whole concept of, of using AI to, to kind of drive that process and make them more sustainable. It's not just the design and manufacture, but also the actual silicon life cycle as well. So if we can make silicon last longer, that also adds to the whole sustainability element as well. Is Tesla doing anything in, in that area? What, what's happening in that, that space in terms of sustainability and, and life cycle? Yeah, that's a, a good question, because um, what we talked about so far was really what we do in the front end with pattern generation and then yield analysis. We have an embedded analytics group within Tessent, and what they, they do is they, they find ways to do better debug as you're bringing the product up, but also they have monitors so they can pull out information. And as all this information is being processed and, and pulled out, the opportunity is to find what is the really important information the the user or the designer needs to be aware of while it's in operation. And then that's a great opportunity for AI to process the big data, be able to find something that's relevant and able to improve the operation in the future. Maybe re redo the software and set it up so it can perform better. So overall, addressing the whole sustainability issue from the right from the beginning, right the way through to the whole life cycle of, of the silicon. Yes, it's, it's great to hear that it fits perfectly with the overall Siemens message and the Siemens kind of vision on, in that area. Any other areas you think AI is really kind of making a breakthrough? As you mentioned, the AI devices themselves are getting better. And I think some of the, the other breakthroughs are just how you're able to test these AI devices. And some of them have to, just for, for yield, but we'll end up doing stacks. So they stack the dies and they might have memory stacked on the dies. And all of that 
enablement um, is important that we're able to have a nice, simple test infrastructure. So we've done a bunch of work to enable these companies doing AI chips so that we have a nice plug and play infrastructure with what we'll do with IJTAG, IEEE standard 1687. And then SSN works as a flexible parallel bus when you have a stack of die. So you can create your patterns at the core level and then it can be mapped using IJTAG and SSN to any place in the stack and you don't have to do a lot of extra work. The software just knows how to remap it. So I think that's an important aspect. It's not AI, but it's the, the way we're enabling AI devices to be produced. I think this is really important because as you said at the start, all of these technologies really help our customers address the topic of sustainability when producing these vast AI machines which in turn are really driving this thirst for AI that we see within the industry today. So I think as we continue to see this rapid growth in the market continue, I'm really excited to see how AI in EDA continues to evolve. So thank you, Ron, for your time today. It's always a great pleasure, and it's been great having you on the podcast. And for the listeners who want more information on the technologies that were discussed today, go to the Siemens Test and Silicon Solutions website to find out more.